Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. Today, we talked about timelines. We talked about challenging society's expectations. And I actually talked about my second ayahuasca journey. Yeah, so that she shares the golden nuggets of wisdom that came from that journey. And we really focused on unpacking what it means to challenge those expectations and why and how that's so important for our mental health so that we can really start to or continue to come into this life in the most authentic, freest, most liberated version of ourselves because we're here for a good time, not a long time. Yeah, and (laughs) when we free ourselves, we also free everybody around us. We definitely believe that the greatest gift that you can give the world is your own mental liberation. And inadvertently, it ends up benefiting us too. So here we go. This is a good one. Buckle up. And as always, take in a deep breath with us. And press play. So at the time that we're recording this podcast... It's my birthday in two days. Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> it is. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it is Paula's 31st birthday on the 31st of July. This is her golden year. This is my golden birthday. So to honor that, I'm going to have a spitfire round of questions. So 31 questions for Paula. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be fun. It would, but with the way my brain is working today. Valentina didn't sleep that much. This is crazy. She has the healthiest diet. I don't understand it. I don't it's understand it. It's a mystery. It. I've had She sleep. has an, a, a pretty chill job. I mean, I've had sleep issues for let me try to work my brain circuits right now how long you've had sleep issues probably for about i would say three I, years. they stopped when i was living at the grant house like i didn't have it then so probably about three years paula yeah like three years. four or five mm, no really yeah i don't know so i've had sleep issues for three to five years and i i have no idea why I really don't like it's not because at least I think it's not because I'm more anxious I used to be way more anxious now and I didn't you know everything was more up in the air and now I've come more into myself I have have an awesome job I am healthier than I've ever been I know more about myself I feel like my mental health is better but for some reason my sleep is junk and last night, you got like I was wide awake at three a.m. I could have gone to a party or something. That's insane. It was crazy. 
and I don't know why. So if any of you guys, can you tell me why? <laughs> I want I, I want her to do it. a past life regression. This is kind of our, our last attempt to try like, to figure this out. It's so crazy. Is there something in my brain that's blocked or something that is just not letting me sleep? All I know is that sleep is an act of surrender. Mm-hmm. That I, that's one. That's the only connection that I can make right. from a psychological perspective. It goes back to your challenges with letting go of control. Yeah, that's what comes up for me. I know. I mean, me too. But you are less anxious than you used to be. I'm less anxious. I'm less controlling than I used to be. Um, It's so weird. So today I spend... Maybe you're not supposed to sleep that much. This is another thing that was just nuts to me. Some people actually try to hack their sleep to sleep less. Well, we have a theory also, guys, that Valentino was a monk in her past life. And that's actually a thing. That really advanced meditators and and monks sleep less, and they can just meditate because when you meditate, your your body go gets very deep rest very quickly. That's the thing, though. I can actually meditate for a pretty long time. It's not hard for me to go as long as I need to go, but I don't feel like I, there's no way in the world I can replace that with sleep. I felt the difference after a long meditation and after a good night's sleep. After a good night's sleep, there's something about, I, I feel more like there's a ground, like the Let ground beneath my entirely. feet are just, is very sturdy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But maybe you can start trying that, the Vipassana type meditation where you scan your body up and down. Mm-hmm. I've been night. doing that. You've been doing scanning yeah. your body up yeah. and down all night? Yeah. Okay. I'm out of ideas. I don't know. I'm glad you're on. not my client. <laughs> it's so weird. I'm like, do the spirits have a message for me that I'm trying to figure out? Like, they're trying to keep me awake, but I'm not doing the method I need to do. I don't know. You don't even eat sugar. None. Nothing. So, again. And I I actually started drinking coffee two days ago again. A tiny amount. Tiny amount because, but even when I didn't drink coffee for those few months, nothing. It didn't do anything. Get out of my face, sleep. (laughs) She's getting mad. so annoyed. I just want to sleep. Unhealthy relationship with sleep. Hell yeah, man so annoying sleep just come to me anyway anyways back to my birthday in true leo fashion i always get so excited about my birthdays i I just get so excited (laughs) really i count down this whole week i've been yes four more days even if i'm not doing anything big just because i don't know there's something about that day that i just it's my birthday and i feel that i can spoil myself as much as i want during leo season and especially my birthday you never not spoil yourself but (laughs) even more i feel like i have more of a justification for it It just feels more free i just i i don't i don't know i just that's amazing because a lot of people have a lot of fear towards their birthday i used to be one of them like it gave me a lot of anxiety leading up to my birthday and i think a lot of people feel the same way so what do you what can you say to that it's just a day to honor yourself it's just something and we talked about this in the podcast where we talked about your birthday a little bit but I just use it as an opportunity to really treat myself and I I use other opportunities to treat myself but this one I really just super treat myself super treat myself and go free with it so it's just nice it's kind of like my own personal holiday so 
I love that. And I'm turning 31. And some people last, some people do this thing where they do 31 things that they've learned in their 31 years on earth. And I'm thinking about what those are for me. And I'm not going to come up with 31 things. That's just a lot of things. I mean, I probably could, but the main thing that keeps coming up for me that started coming up for me, probably my mid twenties, right after my mid twenties is this phrase that sometimes the longest route is the shortest way home. And it's weird, but that's something that I have been repeating to myself for many, many years. And doing that has really helped me honor my own timeline on earth. So that comes from seeing people, you know, when I graduated undergrad, I saw a lot of people go straight into their career, go straight into jobs or go straight from undergrad to graduate school. And that just did not feel aligned for me. I kind of just floated around for a few years, made some art, worked for an art dealer and just kind of followed my own path, just letting it unfold at my own pace. And then I, the way that I function and move through life is that I wait until I get intuitive hits that is very obvious to me that I have to take the next step. Which is amazing because Paula is a projector. If you guys know anything about human design, we both are. But projectors, you their strategy in life is you wait for an invitation. That's and that's how you're so successful. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's literally how it's always been for me. And when I, if I was going to go straight into a career right out of undergrad, it felt so forced. It just felt so forced. Something about it did not feel right. So I just let myself kind of brew and I just sit back and I keep doing what I'm doing. And every time that I've had to make a big move, that when it hits me, I do it so fast. In that sense, it really is kind of like the lion that lounges around for the majority of the day and then they hit their prey and it's like, bam, that's how it's always been for me. Like when it hit me, I had to go to graduate school, just bam. So all that to say that I allowed myself to move at my own pace and as a result, I was able to arrive at my calling by the time that I was 30 years old. Whereas I see a lot of people feeling that they have to keep up with certain timelines and they have to keep up with certain societal narratives. And as a result, don't allow themselves to really question what it is that they want, what type of pace makes them happy, what kind of life is really for them. A lot of times they don't allow themselves to question that until many, many years down the line. Yeah. The thing with timelines is that it forces you to pay attention to a story that has been woven by other people who are on different journeys than you. And in turn, you end up neglecting what you actually want out of life, what you came here for, what your mission is, how you want to live. Yeah. And especially you know, the timeline, obviously, that we're the most familiar with is the Western society timeline. And for women, which is the thing that we can speak best to, is finish undergrad, go to grad school or get a job right away, buy a house, get married, have kids, and so on and so forth. And it's so pervasive. It's it's so much all around us that if you don't intentionally allow yourself, if you don't intentionally engage in questioning it for a lot of people, it becomes a standard by which they're really hard on themselves. 
But you actually haven't struggled with this at all. No, no, because. <sighs> so what can you tell people? What's the secret to not struggle? Because to be honest, as much as I have always allowed myself to beat to the beat of my own drum, because that part just always wins out, there still was some background insecurity around, you know, I should be partnered up. And I really didn't start unraveling that and shedding that until this year that I should be with a partner that I should yeah I guess that's that's the only one because I'm still not fully bought into the timeline but I was harsh on myself for that and then at the same time I would take a step back and say you know if I really wanted to be with a partner I could be I could I've had opportunities but on some level a lot of times I think we we end up settling for the sake of fitting into a timeline and filling into that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard when you have society telling you how you're going to be happy and then you see everyone around you doing that thing. Right. And so you really are like, okay, well society says you have to do everyone around me is doing it. They're partnered up. They're in a career. They're doing all of this. So like I, I need to do it. Even if that's not what I want to do, I need to do it. That's what my worth comes from. Right. Yeah, I would say for me, for better or for worse, it's always been extremely hard to make me do anything that I don't, that my soul isn't in. I, and in my, in my, you know, my dad knows, my, everyone says in the family, like there is, if Valentina doesn't want to do something, there's no way in hell. No, Valentina. <laughs> yeah, even just getting through undergrad was a whole feat. Oh, I mean, it's, I'm not a good pretender. I'm not. Unless I am in something 100%, I'm going to be in it 0%. So I would say... That's amazing. It's... My pattern app says that about me too. For as much as we (laughs) challenge black and white thinking, every single approach to life has both the positive and the negative to it. Because that black and white thinking is what drives your passion. It's what has this podcast up and running you know, it's, I'm all in, I'm a hundred percent in. And it's the same thing that gives you the anxiety and controlling issues. I'm sure. Yeah. Cause if I see something of, of like how, if I see something and I have an image for how I want it to be, that's just how it's going to be. There's just literally no way around it. That's just how it's going to be. And I've always been like that with, with everything. So when it came to going to school, when it came to getting a job, when it came to, you know, I never, I was never called towards what the world was telling me I needed to do. So I've always been a bit of a rebel in that sense. I was more comfortable being a loner and doing what I wanted to do than feeling like I quote unquote fit in and was doing what everyone else was doing. It's interesting because I very much have that too. We're both pretty rebellious temperaments by nature. And in some ways, outwardly so, it seemed that I was even more rebellious at times than you. However, I still had, there's a part of me that was still secretly, subconsciously buying into this narrative that women are supposed to be this and women are supposed to be that. And I feel like up until this year, it had a much tighter grip on me, even though outwardly I'd lived very free. And now I'm allowing myself to question things like, do men and women need to live together? 
you guys have you seen Frida Kahlo's documentary with um Salma Hayek I mean you don't need to see that you could just look it up on Google Sal- Google her house Frida Kahlo's house she had a house and her neighbor her, her neighbor was her husband and they connected their houses with a bridge it's amazing they connected the, so they still had their own individual space and the wild thing is that when I first saw that movie when I first found that out years ago probably like 10 years ago I remember saying oh that's how my house has to be so there was always my temperament was always very independent and then looming somewhere in the background kind of haunting me was the societal conditioning of how I'm supposed to move through life and then this year I feel more strongly than ever I'm really allowing myself to sit with you know is that even what I really want and it may be and I think that we can change but it's just allowing ourselves to question where these stories even came from. This is the thing that I've always been really aware with. And you you asked me, you know, what has helped me be how I am? I've seen people in really good jobs, and I was always really aware of this when I was younger. I've seen people in marriages and in really good jobs. I've seen people with a lot of money, with all the things that society told you, but they were not happy. So to me, it was very obvious that that wasn't what you needed to do to be happy. So I think that some people are going to be happy being married by this age and having kids by this age and whatever. That's fine. But that's not everyone's journey. And I would rather get to 50 and find whatever I need to find at 50 and be happy than follow society's timeline and find myself at 30 being like, what have I done? This is not making me happy. Or at 40 being like, I have my house, I have my kids, my partner, I have everything, but I'm not happy. And I have this image of myself that actually creeps in every now and then as like a 90-year-old grandma and talking to my grandkids or whoever, to the people around me and telling them, I juiced the shit out of this life, guys. Like I juiced it. And then I also have an image of me sometimes being like seeing the opposite of that. Not that I would be that, but I see what the opposite would be being like, "Mm, you know, I was comfortable. I had a, I had a good partner. It was a, my my job was great to me. It was a nice, calm, happy life. And I'm like, that's, that scares the shit out of me. I don't want to get to that. I want to be like a 90 year old rock star being like, man, I did that right. Yeah. So I can't, it's hard for me to be manipulated into society standards because it's very obvious that that's not the way. Yeah, my question is, when did we come up with these stories? And these stories are so pervasive. And I think we're just now at the point where many of us are allowing ourselves to decide what our narrative is going to be. And for example, back to the living together thing, in many tribal communities, the women have their own quarters and the men have their own quarters and they come together uh, every now and then, but you essentially live amongst women. And we've recently been having this experience where we've been around a lot of women and it's, it's been so empowering. It's so empowering. It really is. It's so beautiful just to have all every all the wisdom of all the women coming together and for men likewise, you know, to to have each other to turn to. And I, men are starting to do this more and more where they're opening up to each other, but not just necessarily expecting a man and a woman 
to come together and live together and have this very linear timeline. And again, for some people, that's great. And if you feel aligned with that, awesome. And if it's coming from a place of love, awesome. But I wonder for so many people, and even for me at certain times, it was coming from a place of fear. You know, and people ask you, and, and this is and this is actually pushed all the time on on women, especially, again, that's the main thing that I can speak to, which is like, why are you still single? That's such a crazy question. Yeah. Why are you still single? Or even if some if a woman's been divorced, there's just more questions around it. Or if she's a single mother and again, the guy's a single father as well, but there's just more questions around it. Typically not. I mean, again, how are you supposed to attract what is authentically going to make you the happiest if you are chasing an image of what society has handed you without even questioning if that's ultimately what you truly want? I don't know. I don't think you can do it. I think that the only way to really attract the thing that's going to make you feel alive is by being unapologetic in what actually makes you feel whole, expansive, and genuinely fulfilled. What I've realized, and I've kind of known this for a long time, but it just gets clearer and clearer over the years, is that there's so many ways in which that narrative is coming from a place of fear, and we uphold it as a society from a place of fear. So again, it goes back to the people-pleasing conversation where we're saying that the ways in which you allow yourself to pick other people's life apart is reflective of the ways in which you kind of engage in people-pleasing. So for example, if I feel pressure on myself to present a certain way and to live a certain lifestyle so that I can be accepted, the moment I see somebody that's not doing that, I'm going to judge them because... And I do believe that it's somewhere in our subconscious, there's this little seed of if I can't be free, I don't want other people to be free. The freest people that I have encountered that are truly living in their joy and not just describing to some image or numbing themselves every day so that they just go to work and have this family and live for the weekend and just kind of go into this Groundhog Day type situation. The freest people that I have come across in my life they don't judge. They want everyone to live their life exactly however they want to live it. And because they are free, they allow others that right. So I think that's really important to realize when other people start trying to impose these societal narratives or their narratives on us. In many ways, it's a reflection of the ways in which they're not allowing themselves to be free. And through that realization, we can take some of our power back and realize that if people are kind of expecting us or asking us to impress them, it's because that's how they are functioning in the world. And we can just notice that and leave it there. We don't have to pick it up. Yeah. The image that keeps coming to my mind is of our friend Clement, who he's one of our French friends who lives in this little French island, Guadeloupe. And when we went to go visit him, we would always say, Clem, should we do this today? And he would always say, why not? Or Clem, should I, is this good? Should I, like, you think I should eat it? Why not? And he's the freest person ever. Yeah, he's very free. He just is such a free little bird. And so with everyone else, it's not a question of, no, don't do this because this is like all these fearful reasons or no, no, no. It's always, why not? Like, why not? Just do it. Why not? 
And you know what? I think that this COVID-19 situation has amplified that for a lot of people because it's even allowed me to shed even more of that narrative, whatever pieces of it were still gripping me. And I think it's a constant unfolding. It's a constant releasing of those layers of conditioning because there's many ways in which they try to creep themselves back in. I think just seeing how even if you did all the things that you were quote unquote supposed to do, everything can still just kind of crumble around. (laughs) around you exactly at any moment exactly and imagine if you did all of those things that you were supposed to do and you didn't have fun with your life and you get to a certain age and you did all those things but then you're 90 years old and you're like damn yeah it was like a nice and it was a nice and peaceful okay life yeah we're here for no time at all for real we're not here very long and I think I low-key become obsessed with the topic of death. I'm not <laughs> we went kidding from you. one podcast to... I'm not kidding you because... I love that topic. Exploring death and humans' relationship to it is just so fascinating to me. Because until we, this is what I believe, really get comfortable with death, you can't really live. I was listening to Muji today and he was saying, life and death are one. The in-breath is life and the out-breath is death. And if you don't believe it, just try doing one without the other. Man, he's so wise. That Muji. He did it again. (laughs) (laughs) Muji? Y'all, Muji is so... Legit, I was listening to to him today and I was like, I I should... And I was very seriously contemplating getting the name Muji on my finger tattooed. That's how bought in I got to him. I love Muji. I was like... Oh, it'd be such a good tattoo. Anyway, so until you learn that one cannot exist without the other, but not even just knowing it like logically, but really, really embracing it and feeling it inside of your body, how can you really live? Yeah. Then you let yourself be free. So, yeah, I mean, anyway, that whole thing just to say, I feel like we really are just here to, it's like a quick stop. To have fun, to learn our lessons. The thing is that here's the other part of that. Uh, Back to my little quote that sometimes the longest route is the shortest way home. Inside of us, through our instincts, we all have the most powerful compass to move through life with. I genuinely believe, and this is what I have experienced, is that when we listen to that little voice that's pushing us in a certain direction, that is where the greatest lessons are. For us that is where our journey of growth and development is going to be fast-tracked following that route so even if other people are looking at you from the outside and saying that is ridiculous that's crazy you shouldn't do that follow this other path if we don't listen to that voice and instead just move with the expectations of others we're cheating ourselves of the lessons that we're lined up on that path for us even if that path has a ton of failure even if that path doesn't go exactly how you planned one step leads to the next and allowing yourself to move in that direction allowing it to unfold naturally that's when your life really starts making sense so even if I had remnants of this cultural conditioning of a narrative that we're all supposed to be following that snuck into my brain I still always felt that really strongly that I don't know why I have to move in this direction. Kind of like 
when I graduated from undergrad and I decided to just do art and it didn't make sense. I had an amazing college career. I could have gone into any job. I still just followed that instinct and it could have seemed that I was wrecking my life or messing up my future. But on that path is where I realized that life was only worth it if it was being lived, at least for me, in service of other people. And I wouldn't have learned that if I hadn't allowed myself to be extremely selfish for two years. So by allowing myself to go down that path of apparent recklessness and not caring and just living for myself and still coming out unhappy, I wouldn't have had the visceral experience of coming of arriving at that insight. If I just forced myself to go straight into grad school and became a psychologist or, you know, my path was always going to be on the psychology route. That was obvious. But if I just short circuited, like cheated myself and just jumped right into it, there would have always been a part of me wondering if I could be having way more fun just being an artist and if I would be happier just kind of living a lot more selfishly. So how do you strengthen your intuition? By listening to it. Yeah, but how do you know? This is one of my biggest things. <laughs> I would always journal. I would be like, how do I know if it's my intuition or just like some weird voice and like psych myself out of it? I think I've gotten a lot better at it now, but I want to hear how you've really strengthened your intuition and knowing that it is an intuition and not just a voice of paranoia or just something else. The thing is that even if it is a voice of paranoia, you're still going to get the lessons. So let's say that it was me just wanting to avoid responsibility and, you know, sticking my middle finger up and saying, no, you know, so maybe anxiety. I don't want to do grad school. So is this really my intuition or, or is it laziness? Whatever. I would still have done the thing and I would still arrive at the lesson that I need to arrive at. So as long as you are engaging in some kind of self-reflection as you move along the process, you're still going to get the lesson that you need to get out of it. It's just, it, it, there's no, and this is where getting comfortable with uncertainty becomes really important because there is no one answer. Just as long as you continue to allow yourself to pick up on the lessons that you're picking up, but you're just going to learn those lessons much faster if you're following your own path because you believe them now. It's not just because somebody told you. It's because you believed it. And the other part of it, which we've been harping on, and it's just going to become a regular theme on this podcast, is increasing your threshold and your tolerance for disappointing other people. Because that really gets in the way of us following our life path. Uh, you know, I had many people telling me not to do that. I had many people telling me not to, to go straight into psychology. I had many people questioning what I was doing and judging it. And if I hadn't had some kind of tendency to say, you're allowed to disagree with me, that's fine. You can stand in your disagreement and I'm still going to go in this direction. I wouldn't have ever done it. Did you never have the fear of what if this fails? Yeah, for sure. But now I realize that there's no way it could have failed because even if it failed, I still got my lesson. It just depends on what you consider failure. What do you, what do you, what do we, so I'm always thinking like, okay, like the worst thing, what have you ended up on the street? No money, no nothing. Cause that's where my mind goes. Yeah. I would have been on the street until I got tired of being on the street 
and then I would have done the next thing that I felt like doing. But you don't even think like that. You don't even think like, what's the worst that could happen? You kind of just like, I'll handle everything when I get there. I mean, there. I, the possibility exists, but I just know that I, I just know that I can move through it. One thing that I know for sure is that my imagination of things going wrong has never been as bad as when I actually have to move through it. When I have to move through it, I just buckle up and move through it. That's real. So I trust that. I allow myself to surrender to that knowing. So then trying to imagine all the 10 million possible ways that it could go wrong doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't help prepare me. It actually just kind of like, it actually just takes away my focus. There is no way that it can be messed up. It just depends on what you consider a mess up. Because for some people, what, going bankrupt is a mess up. For some others, for someone else, the mess up could be not ever taking a risk and having to wonder for the rest of your life. If you go bankrupt, you can bring your way back. But if you never allow yourself to explore the curiosities of your mind, you don't get to make up for that. You can always make the money back. And if you have to live a simpler life, you live a simpler life. Everyone thinks it's horrible to live a simpler life until they just do it. It's really not. This is why I get really thankful for my parents and being immigrants because we had a great life, right? We were, my parents did everything in their power to make us comfortable, but we were not super wealthy. We were not given all of these things and spoon fed. I've been working since I was eight years old, literally. And so I was Paul and my brother. So when, but I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful because I know what it's, I'm not afraid of needing a lot of comfort. I'm not afraid of being uncomfortable. Yeah. And now, granted, at this point in my life, there's a part of me that's like, I really love the comforts, man. You know, I do. I can totally love them. I can totally enjoy them. But if I have to let them go, I will let them go. And that's kind of the anxiety that causes a lot of anxiety for a lot of people is losing that. So then allowing yourself to face into that to kind of maybe go through the thought process of downward arrow that we've talked about downward arrow being, you know, when you said, okay, so what if everything goes wrong? And the worst case scenario is you'll end up on the street homeless, then go to that. Okay, so I'm on the street homeless. Okay, I just sit on a park for one day. Okay, now I sit on the park for another day. Sit on the park for 10 days. I ask for money. And then at some point I might get tired of it. And then I get a job. And then I'm right back in the loop. I'm right back in the game. The only worst case scenario, downward era, that doesn't give us some kind of gateway back into being back on the playing field is dying. And -hmm. then you're just dead regardless of whether or not you take risks and follow your life and allow yourself to explore and have the relationships and meet the people and go to the countries that you want to go to and try out the careers that you want to try. And if you end up being one of those people that just jumps from career to career, again, is that a failure? Maybe the person that stayed in one career their whole life feels like they're a failure because they didn't allow themselves to explore. So it just, it really all depends on how you look at it. And then asking ourselves, am I the one that really believes this? Or am I imposing some kind of external narrative on myself that I should have done it that way? This stuff is so powerful to question. The sooner, the better. Question everything. The sooner, the better. Because a lot of times what we feel guilt about, what we feel anxious of, what we feel scared of, how much of that is because of what we've been told that we should be scared of it? 
And how much of it is it because we really are scared of it? And that's another thing is that this society is very much a one-size-fits-all. The education system is a one-size-fits-all. The pacing until COVID was very much... It was horrible. This is... This society for... It, it was tailored to me a little bit, but I think that's why I always had, I was, it was easy for me to not follow these timelines is because it didn't work for me. You knew how I was in school always since I was little. I was, I would get in trouble like crazy. My personality got me in trouble left and right. My desk, I lived in the timeout chair or I lived next to the teacher's desk. That's where my chairs would always be moved. I would get kicked out of classrooms all the time for laughing. I would just, it was so hard. I could not into the mold. I could not be contained. I would walk around. I, my friend, uh, Carly, her mom always brings this up. I always used to see Valentina walking around with that family size planters nuts can in in kindergarten. No way. I would carry it around everywhere just in case I got hungry. And I've like, I've been obsessed with nuts since I was little. Um, I love some nuts right now. It's a family thing. But I just, and and it was so weird to everyone, but I couldn't understand why it was weird to everyone. I was just like, because they're good and I'm hungry. I don't get it. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I've always been a little oblivious to the judgments other people make. I don't get mm-hmm. it. To me, I'm very like logical about things. I'm like, because it that's I'm, just is what it is. I'm hungry, so I eat. Yeah. I'm this, so I do that. Well, our mom and dad are exactly that. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like crazy, like, though. Crazy. They're crazy. <laughs> they're crazy. Yeah. They're, they're you guys, my hilarious. mom literally she'll go biking with her face will be white, 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 white. And she'll put um, sunblock on her face, like layer it. And on purpose puts enough on to where there's no way you're ever going to smooth it out. So it'll become clear. <laughs> and she literally looks like she painted white stuff all over her face and goes biking all around our neighborhood. Because she doesn't want sun rays Because she doesn't want sun rays. It so doesn't pe- matter what She looks think. like the, there's a, all of a sudden you see this crazy lady biking down <laughs> like Windward Parkway. <laughs> With a white, white face. Oh, my god! And, gosh. I mean, that's just one thing. She's that's just, just... There's a whole collection They do whatever they want they at all They do whatever times. they want. Yeah. So, that's where that comes from. So, we are really not trained to just follow... Your intuition. Our intuition. Your pacing. And what feels good. And what, what your nervous system asks for. You're not. No. You're really not. No. I have clients now that have gotten a chance to slow down, and they realize that their baseline has shifted, which is just them, their baseline of how much stress and activity they can handle has shifted to a lower chilled out pace. So now they can tell when they start experiencing more symptoms of anxiety and certain compulsions, it's more obvious because, you know, before when you're working nine hour days every single day or even more, You don't have time to stop and compare or think, what would I actually be like? How would I be behaving? Would I really be this agitated of a person? Would I really be in this much of a rush all the time? Would I really have this kind of road rage? The moment that you allow yourself to stop and slow down and then do that for a while and kind of allow your nervous system to chill out for a minute, then you'll, and then you go back into the grind a little bit more intensely, then you'll start seeing, oh, shoot these symptoms are coming back. Wow. So maybe that wasn't just who I was. Maybe I was moving at a pace 
that was never even natural for my nervous system. And that's something that we don't are not usually in Western society given the opportunity to question. Everybody starts going to school at the same time, the same amount of hours a day, the same amount of homework for everybody, the same college experience, just bam, 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 bam at the same pace. And everybody's built differently. Some people are going to want more movement. Some people are going to want less, but it gets to a point where we have to take it on our own hands and honor what our own bodies and minds are asking for to really be able to say like, oh no, that doesn't work for me. We're trained to follow rules before we're trained to learn about ourselves. This is America. Dude. This is America. But for real, you are not enabled, you are not empowered to pay attention to your mental health. You are empowered to get shit done, get good grades, and have this kind of life arrive at the next thing. And that very much goes into the the topic of that masculine versus feminine energy. That go, 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 controlling, achieving, linear linear is very masculine. And there's nothing wrong with masculine. It's just that it has to be balanced. It has to be balanced. And there's a massive imbalance of masculine and feminine energy in the world. And once again, if you this if this is your first time tuning into this podcast, we don't talk about masculine, masculine and feminine like male or woman. We very much talk about it as energies, energies. you know, and this goes into a little bit of my ayahuasca journey that I promised you guys I would talk about my second ayahuasca journey. What happened was I, it was the worst. When was it? (laughs) It was the worst experience. My God. When did it take place? Do you remember? Uh, like roughly a year ago. Okay. And what happened was it was hell it was hell I was immediately burning in hell when I took the ayahuasca there was fire and demons around me and I it was very different from if you guys ever heard our podcast our first podcast from you know my first ayahuasca journey was like so beautiful and it was literally heaven and then this time I was in hell. So I was so confused. And I remember I asked our ayahuasquero, um, am I supposed to feel like this? This is like, what did you give me? I remember. And I was just so out of it. I was like, what did you give me? There's something wrong with this batch. And he was like, nope. <laughs> this is you. And I was like, what? And at that point, I remember just feeling, I mean, I just can't even explain. I felt like I was trying to purge something inside of me and I couldn't even I couldn't do it I was rolling around and super super hot super super cold and sweating and in pain and I was just thinking oh my god I am in hell for eternity and I felt like I was stuck there and then I kept seeing there was a lot of male energy that was surrounding me a lot of very toxic male energy a lot of masculine energy Ma- well, okay, so I say male because there were literally males around, a lot of males around me In that doing journey. this. Okay. And the room was very much geared towards... It was very masculine. It was very masculine. And it was very much, the attention in that room was on them. It was, they were calling for a lot of help. They were taking up a lot of they space. They were taking up a lot of space. Meanwhile, the rest of the women that, and it just happened to be male and women, the rest of the women that were in that group 
we were kind of just handling it and dealing with it and seeing their reactions, but also holding space for ourselves and everyone around us. Whereas they were very much like, I'm dying. Everyone to help me. And, and it was just a very chaotic environment. So I started to see, so the, the message that messages that kept coming towards me were like toxic masculinity, toxic masculinity of just this like raging, look at me, look at me, hold space for me, hold space for me. And I remember having the feeling of, I, I saw Trump as well. And he was like this big demon. And I remember thinking, having messages that we are either about to go into World War Three or this world is going to crumble, but we have a chance to make it out only if there is a resurgence of feminine energy. It's funny because in the midst of me feeling all of this pain, I wanted to fight through the pain. I wanted to sit there and be like, no, you know what? I came here. I'm going to learn my lesson. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to put up with it until I learn my lesson that I, that ayahuasca is going to give me today. But then I had this thought in my mind that was saying but it's okay you don't need to suffer just ask for help softening just yeah soften up and ask for help even the ayahuasquero saw me in the beginning like really really struggling and he was like I'm gonna give you some tea to kind of take the effects off and I remember telling I was like holding on by a thread but I was telling him no no don't give it to me I want to like do this correctly and let it wear off on its own but then after a while, I was like, what am I doing? Give me that tea. <laughs> after a while, I was like, head first in the tea. No, I was like, what am I doing? I need to you know, soften up and ask for help. And this is a community. If I need help, there is just someone right around the corner that's going to help me. And then I remember my friend Tosh showed up. She walked by me and she was just this goddess, this beautiful, strong, feminine woman and I remember she just looked at me and she goes, are you okay? And I was like, no, I need help. And she was like, okay, we'll help you. It's because she was kind of taking care of this, everyone in that space. And then she just being in her energy completely allowed for the effects of literally hell to, I, I was still in it, but it just wasn't as strong. And the biggest lesson for me out of that second journey was the only thing that's going to save this world is all of us dipping deeper into our feminine energy and being more flowy and less rigid and more open. Yeah, that's perfect. And that goes right along with everything else that we've said in this podcast, where allowing ourselves to question these narratives in favor of what our intuition and our instincts and what feels right for us and where at the pacing that we're most at peace with, because we can easily, we can fit into these narratives we can fit into these timelines. We can mold ourselves to fit into them. Right. We can stick it out. We can stick it out. We could all be married. I, and I'm not saying it's bad to be married, guys. Like, <laughs> if we, you know, but I'm saying if you're kind of forcing it or we could all stay in these careers, we could we could just stick it out, essentially. But do we have to? And can we allow ourselves to veer from these societal constructs from an empowered place? Because a, a lot of times when people do veer from these constructs they end up judging themselves because it's not the norm but can we do it from, from an empowered place recognizing that the reason these constructs are even in place is because a lot of fearful people want certainty and want life to be predictable uh, want to be able to put men into a box and put women into a box and 
put life into a box and that's just their own fear of not being able to flow with more of that feminine energy with more of that uncertainty with more of that unknowing uh, mysterious outcome like when you were asking me what if you had ended up homeless well maybe I would have maybe I wouldn't but how do I know that I wouldn't be able to just move through that and we're not gonna know until we're there The masculine energy wants to control things and that's okay. We can have some of that, but the feminine energy comes in and helps us surrender and helps us release. And that is what we need a little bit more of. Surrender and question your fear. Question the fear because it's not yours. Chances are you're taking it on from other people whose journeys have nothing to do with yours. We were not born to fit into all these other timelines. We we're not born to play these roles. If you step into that role from after following your intuition and honoring yourself, it's a different thing. But allow yourself to get there organically. And allow yourself to make some mistakes. What is life without that? And we'll all be okay. We will all be okay. We love you guys. Peace out. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate and review us and or send it to anyone who maybe is having trouble with fitting into a certain timeline or maybe they are a little more afraid of life than they need to be or they're struggling with anxiety. Who isn't? It's not that hard. We live in a world that kind of enables anxiety. Mm -hmm. So pass it around. We love you guys. Be kind to yourself. Catch us every Monday at 6 a.m. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.